JW Forwardcast, the show that helps former Jehovah's Witnesses and former members of other high control groups and religions to pick up the pieces, put them back together, and turn them into something awesome. So, how are you all? I hope you are all doing well. Um, I'm, I am well. Um, I've been very, very busy these past this past month, which explains why I haven't been able to get this episode out as soon as I'd have liked to. Uh, my apologies in advance both to you, my audience, and also to Jeremy, aka Germ, who was uh, my interviewee. Um, life kind of ambushed me a little bit these last four weeks, so between stuff going down with work uh, and some other stuff going on as well. I haven't had time to just sit down and edit and work on this podcast. But I have finally, I have hacked out the time and uh, we are good to go. So today, um, as I have said, we'll be talking to Jeremy, uh, aka Germ, Jeremy Howell. Jeremy is a former Jehovah's Witness. Uh, he has a YouTube channel uh, which discusses uh, XJW issues. And he's also uh, a member of the Uncultured podcast team. And I also am a member of the Uncultured podcast team. And what, you might be asking, is the Uncultured podcast team? Well, we've got a brand new podcast out. It's called Uncultured. And it's... You might be able to hear some, some curtains blowing in the breeze there. It's all about getting back into popular culture as XJWs. The idea is that, obviously, when we were Jehovah's Witnesses, we were forbidden from getting involved with a lot of popular movies, TV shows, popular music. Uh, We were forbidden to read some types of book. And this show is a celebration of all the culture we've been able to jump back into. Um, The team is myself, Jeremy. Uh, There's also Jordan, who on Twitter is the real John Johns and is uh, XJW, sorry, JW Rebuttal uh, on YouTube. And we have Patricia as well. Uh, Patricia currently has no no Twitter or YouTube channel, but uh, maybe that'll be on the way. You can find us all at Uncultured Podcast on Twitter. And if you go to iTunes or Podbean uh, or Stitcher or anywhere you consume your podcast media and search for Uncultured Podcast, you'll be able to find us. I think you guys will love it because it's XJW-related content, but it's XJW content from the perspective of really celebrating the things that we love. So it's, it's a bit of, a new, a bit of a, new, um, a new project for us all. We're very excited about it. Um, go check it out, and I hope you enjoy it. Additionally, one thing I will say is I recorded this interview with Jeremy um, before we actually even conceived we were going to be doing Uncultured. I think we initially kicked the idea around, but we hadn't really got anything solid. So um, if it sounds like me and uh, Jeremy have only just met for the first time and that this is our initial discussion, that's because that was actually true. I think since then, if you listen to Uncultured, we've got a lot better dynamic because, you know, we obviously know each other and we've got that rapport. And I think you can tell in this interview that we have only just met. So you'll probably notice that. Um... So I'll get you to the interview shortly, but first I just want to do a quick little bit of housekeeping. So as you might remember from the previous episode, I was discussing um, the iTunes review system and how you can leave star ratings uh, for the forward cast on iTunes. 
And the more people that leave star ratings, the further it pushes us up the podcast rankings. So it means that more like people are likely to discover the show um, and the more people we can help. Well, I just want to say a huge thank you to whoever the 12th person was to leave us our star review. Because before the last episode, we had 11 uh, reviews and now we have 12. We have 12 uh, stars on star ratings on iTunes. So whoever that was, thank you so much. Um, And if you want, you can also leave us a written review on iTunes. And if you do, I will read it out on the show. I'd also like to just give a huge thank you to all of the show's supporters on Patreon. Um, Your support means the world to me. It is so kind of you to do so. And I hope you've been enjoying the Patreon rewards that have been dropping this month. Uh, We've had uh, an Ask Me Anything episode that's uh, just gone up. And in that episode, uh, I answer questions relating to all sorts of things, uh, including actually someone asked an interesting question about um, how much I believe that Freemasonry is a part of um, the Jehovah's Witness organization at a senior level. So if you ever heard of that that particular theory um, or you're curious about it, check it out. I, I discussed that a little bit. And there's loads of other really interesting questions that uh, patrons asked me as well that we answered in that latest Ask Me Anything. Um, There's also an episode of The Covert Files that'll be going up. Uh, As I've said, I've had a pretty pretty eventful um, month, and I'm going to be talking about it in the next episode of The Covert Files. That's a uh, Patreon-exclusive show that drops usually once a month, sometimes a bit more frequently, sometimes a bit less so. But that's just me talking about a little bit about my life, uh, a little bit about Watchtower activism and other stuff that's going on. Um, so yeah, if you are a patron, you get access to that as well. Um, there's lots of other uh, goodies on there. Um, for example, if you support at the $10 level, you get uh, yearly birthday and Christmas cards from me. Because I know that you know, growing up as a JW, we always missed all those birthday and Christmas cards. And then when we left, sometimes we find ourselves without much of a social circle. So at birthdays or at Christmas, we don't get that many cards. So that's something I, I decided to put into place so that, um, you know, if I, in my own way, I can kind of try and help out with that. Because I know what it's like to not get cards on your birthday or Christmas because you just don't know that many people. So uh, that's one of the perks you can get uh, on Patreon. So, yeah, thank you to everyone who is supporting. And uh, I hope you are enjoying your rewards. So that brings us to the end of the housekeeping. Uh, And without further ado, uh, I'll hand over to my interview with Jeremy Howell, a.k.a. Germ. Germ is a former Jehovah's Witness. He is now a bookseller and he's also gay. So we talk about uh, everything from uh, what it's like to leave the Jehovah's Witnesses and some advice from Jeremy about getting into um, gay culture and the gay lifestyle and uh, starting to date for the first time if you're a gay XJW. And we compare notes a little bit as well on the uh, the dating experience. Uh, we both once we're inside the JWs and outside as well. I sort of come at it from the straight perspective, and Jeremy gives kind of his insight into the gay perspective as well. But that's not all. We talk about a lot of stuff. In fact, you can probably, as you hear this interview, you can hear some of the seeds for the Uncultured podcast. Um, already being kicked around because uh, we discuss things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the fantasy novels of Robin Hobb. So this is quite a wide-ranging interview. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, Jeremy's a great guy. He's a lot of fun to talk to. And uh, yeah, you should all be subscribing to his YouTube channel and his Twitters if you have not already. And you can find details of those at the end of the show. So without further ado, 
I give you Jeremy Howell. So, Jeremy, how are you doing? I am fantastic, thank you. A very busy week, and keeping busy is a good thing. Yeah, it's always better to be busy than bored, I find. It kind of, yeah. the, the, people think, oh, it must be nice to just sit around, but you, you, get, you can only do that for so long, for me anyway, before I start getting kind of a bit itchy feet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thanks ever so much for coming on the show. As I said, there's, there's a couple of really interesting subjects I was wanting to talk to you about, especially because obviously X, every XJW has their own story and their kind of their own advice they can bring to the table. And one of kind of the aspects of your story is something which I've been wanting to cover for a while. And I've actually had a few requests from listeners about, can you cover this particular aspect? Um, and that is dating, not only dating generally as a concept, which I'm sure we can both bring, bring our own experiences and advice to the table of. Cause when you are, when you are a JW, you're saddled with all these ridiculous courtship rules and these kind of quite unhealthy mentalities towards dating. Um, and then when you leave, it's like, okay, how do I date as a normal person? Mm-hmm. There's also an extra, there's an extra a layer for a lot of XJWs because for some XJWs, it's all about dating love and the opposite sex. But for other XJWs, it's about dating love and the same sex because obviously everyone has different sexual orientations um, and you're gay. So you've got this extra experience of not only like, okay, how do I learn to date as a regular person, but how do I learn to embrace my actual, my real identity and my own sexuality? Right. Um, and so that's something I really want to talk to you about. And there's also, there's a few other questions we're going to dump, jump into, some of which have been very kindly provided by our listeners on uh, Patreon. Because if you sponsor the Forwardcast at the $10 level, you get the chance to submit questions for our Forwardcast guests. Um, and we've had some really cool questions submitted um, awesome. for Jeremy. So looking forward to getting into this. So I thought, first of all, could you just give maybe a quick minute summary of your experiences as a, as a JW and what brought you to leave? Sure. Um, I was uh, born in, raised as a witness. Um, I was actually really into it. Um, I, I, really, I really liked being a witness. Um, but uh, I, got, I got booted out when, once it was uncovered that I was gay. Um, there's quite a bit more to that whole story, but I'll save us all an hour of me blabbing. Um, <laughs> I think but, that uh, you, you spoke about it on the John Cedars channel, didn't you? So if, if people yeah. are, uh, wants to, and it's actually, I would recommend people go and search that interview out because it's, um, it's a very powerful interview. And, uh, Jeremy goes into quite a lot of detail about his experience with that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, it's, it's been a while since I was in, I, I, uh, I was kicked out kind of when, not even a month after I turned 18 and I'm in my thirties now. So, uh, yeah. So you, you actually got out relatively young then you, yeah. you, were, you kind of, it, I hesitate to use the phrase dodged a bullet because obviously even being in for 18 years is 18 years too long, but in some ways you were quite lucky. You, you got out still relatively early in life. Yeah. Well, I absolutely agree. I think that I dodged a lot of the, kind of conditioning that happens when you're adult, especially for men, a lot of the misogyny and a lot of the, you know, um, all powerfulness that, uh, men kind of are encouraged to feel there. I think I dodged a lot of that. At least I like to hope that I did. And obviously, um, when you were, when you were sort of growing up in the teenage years is kind of where most, most people, I know, I know some people obviously, um, identify as asexual and they don't have any kind of sexual, um, interest or desires, but 
I think for a lot of people when they're growing up, their teens, their teen years is when everything starts to kind of fire. I know for me, I was suddenly like going from like, I don't care what girls are to like, girls are awesome. <laughs> um, and I can't do anything about it unless I marry one. And this is horrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, for you, what was your experience like? Did you, when did you realize that you were gay? And what was that realization like as a JW? Um, it, it was terrifying. Um, it, it happened pretty early on, even though I think a part of me always knew. Um, mm. but, uh, it was a lot of time spent in denial. A lot of telling my, like, I, I, I told everyone, or at least I told myself for a long time, Oh, I'm bisexual. It's fine. I'm bisexual. I just, I, but I prefer girls, uh, which, you know, is not the case at all. Um, so it was a lot of lying to myself and a lot of, uh, a lot of guilt tripping and self torment, um, trying to fix it. Um, because I don't know, I had a lot of ambitions in, in, within the religion and there were a lot of things that I wanted to do, but I was, I felt seriously enough about it that I couldn't let myself do it knowing that I had that problem. It was a bit of a blessing and a curse for me, a blessing because it got me out curse because I didn't get to do what I wanted to do. Yeah, that that's interesting when you mentioned that you you kind of almost tried to rationalize it by saying, oh, it's okay, I'm bisexual. It's it's okay. As long as I still like girls as well, that was almost sort of internally, was that how you were trying to kind of deal with what the because obviously because obviously the Watchtower religion is very, very stigmatizing of homosexuality and, and gay men. Right. Was that your way of trying to kind of dampen sort of dampen the blow a little bit? and try and talk to yourself with these say to yourself that you were bisexual even though did i mean did you feel that way or was that you did you think that was you trying to sort of dampen the blow a bit oh it was absolutely me just trying to trying to dampen the blow blow a bit because you know the 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 thing there is that oh it's it's okay to be gay as long as you don't act on it so mm-hmm. if i was bisexual then then it would be fine i could still marry a woman and have a wife and have kids and go to Bethel or do whatever I wanted to do. But it wouldn't be possible if I was just gay. So you were quite into the religion. You were quite happy in the religion as of itself when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, It was the kind of the first real stumbling block for you was that kind of your, your sexuality rather than perhaps doctrine or having negative experiences. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's funny what you say about being relatively happy in the religion as well, because obviously I know I know that many XJWs have awful experiences growing up. I was actually quite similar to you in that I was actually quite happy for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and though I had problems, it wasn't like I was going, th- I was, you know, criticizing doctrine left and right. It was a much more gradual process. Interestingly enough, because some people say, oh, your apostates are driven out because you just had bad experiences. And it's actually often not the case. I mean, most of my... JW experiences were perfectly pleasant. I just kind of, I mean, for me, it was, I just kind of worked out it wasn't the true religion. Right. Um, yeah. Obviously you're in this situation that you're this young kid, you're, you're growing up and you realize that at the very minimum, you sort of talk to yourself, well, I must be bisexual because obviously you have those attractions. And then as you get older and you have all these ambitions for the religion, and you start to see that there's this conflict between your own identity and 
what you actually want to do ambitiously. How did you try and manage that? Were there ways you tried to kind of keep it in check? Because I'm thinking there might be a lot of a lot of JWs or XJWs who are listening to this who kind of either are going through a similar experience or are trying to come to terms with their own their own experiences growing up, kind of almost denying denying who they were. So did you try and basically I'm I'm looking at that journey from you realizing to you leaving. What was it that kind of made you leave that you could made you realize you couldn't sort of lie to yourself anymore? I I've talked about this before and it's it's always really hard to talk about, but what I basically did was I I was so determined to get this out of me because I felt that I had I had a mental illness that I was sick. You know, the moment that we got the internet, the first thing I did when my parents left for the day was get get online and find out how to make yourself not gay, which mm-hmm. led me to gay conversion therapy. And, you know, there, there were a lot of techniques that I wasn't capable of doing, but there were some things that I could. And that was basically attempting to associate any sort of gay sexual thoughts with something negative. So I, I kept a safety pin in my pocket and I jabbed myself every time I had a... a you know, any kind of errant thought about someone like, oh, that guy's cute, jab, which is a terrible thing to do to yourself. Don't do it. And another part of it was trying to tell myself that I was bisexual. So I actually got like, I started dating one of my best friends, which it was like the worst dating experience ever. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I was just trying to do anything that I could to, uh, to trick myself into being straight. You know, she even, she, she was aware of, of my problem, my problem. And, you know, she, she was giving me advice like, well, maybe you should, maybe you should watch like straight porn. And that was, that opened up a whole other can of worms (laughs) because it's like porn. I can't watch porn, but if it's, but if I'm watching porn to fix myself, is that going to be okay? So I'd like pray about it and ask for a sign. It's just, all things ridiculous. Dear Jehovah God, may I indulge in positive porn? <laughs> can I like? It's almost like can I take a little poison to get rid of the bigger poison, sort of stuff. Yeah, uh, and and of course it it never worked. It, none of it worked. So um, I eventually, after a few years of doing that, I just kind of accepted. Well, you know, watchtowers change your position on things before, and I really think that they're wrong about this. I don't think that I can fix this. So when it came out, and they they told me, you know, they gave me the ultimatum: you can either stop being gay or you can leave. Um, I just said, well, I guess I'll, I'll hedge my bets and I'll leave and I'll wait for you guys to get new light, which, uh, you know, 15 years later. <laughs> yeah. 15 years later that actually, I think they're actually worse than they were in some ways. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I know, I know they've always been very homophobic and not homophobic in the sense that they're actually violent or aggressive towards members of the LGBT right. because obviously, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses are not that. They're, they're, they would never really, you know, physically attack anyone. But I think the rhetoric that you see from, from Watchtower, especially in some of the videos where they had that convention video recently where they had a, a witness, they showed a witness being harassed by LGBT allies. Oh, yeah. Uh, wearing a wristband. I was like, that, that feels to me like they're getting much more crass in their, in their kind of homophobia. I don't know what your take on that is. Obviously, you're a lot closer to the issue than I am. I mean, what's your impression of that? Uh, it, it feels, it feels about the same to me, but I mean, honestly, yeah, it does feel worse just because the world has changed so much and they're still, you know, their rhetoric is still like they're in the 1950s. Um, so I I don't know. It's, Uh, it's, it hasn't changed, but it's worse in my opinion. So it's almost like it's, it's not so much that they've got worse, but that we, the world's got better. Yeah. The contrast is more visible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. 
So we, we're kind of in this situation now where you're kind of out in the world. And um, and this is kind of the really the, the core, I thought, well, we could have a really interesting conversation about. And this will probably be the first of many talks we have about this on the Forwardcast with, with various guests. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things I hated when I was in the religion was the way it handled dating. Mm-hmm. I thought the rules were ridiculous. I thought they were heavy-handed. I thought that the way it was, it was kind of so, oh, you must only date with a view to marriage, which meant that basically anyone, everyone was paranoid about showing any interest in anyone because then the congregation would all kind of like, ooh, someone's shown interest in you. When are you marrying them? Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the areas that I was anyway, it just turned the whole thing into a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously you're approaching this. You've had all of this indoctrination in your head. And then also, you've, you not only have you got to get over that, but you've also got to embrace your real sexuality. Now, it sounds like you've kind of already had embraced it to a degree because you were like, well, if you guys are going are gonna to demonize what I am, then I'm, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you left the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, did you still have lingering issues regarding your sexual identity that you had to overcome? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for years, probably a good 10 years. Um, especially just because I conditioned myself to feel very negatively regarding sex, my sexuality at all. Mm-hmm. So that took at least, at least 10 years to completely get over. Um, uh, there, there would be times where just, just on a date or something, I would just feel physically nauseous and have to leave or I'd get overwhelming anxiety and have to leave or just, you know, become a blubbering mess, you know, either from whatever I had done to myself or feeling like this is wrong, this is wrong. Or, you know, like the morning after guilt, like, Oh God, I can't believe, I can't believe I did this. I'm going to die in Armageddon. Was that because you were still, although you'd left, you were still believing some of the religion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I was a total pomy for a long time. <laughs> quite the, uh, the apologist that, uh, even after I left, I, I I remember telling people, you know, yeah, Jehovah's Witnesses are a little weird, but if anybody has the truth, I think it's them. They really know the Bible. You know, that's just because I hadn't really done any research. I wasn't really interested in doing the research. Yeah, and I, I think that kind of underlines one of the things we always we kind of always say to anyone who's leaving the Witnesses is do your research because there are a lot of people, and I can't imagine anything worse than being pomy. Mm-hmm. about yeah. being out, <laughs> out of it but thinking it's all true because it, like you say I mean clearly for you it was causing you huge problems emotionally and mentally in developing relationships with others when, when did you start was it when did you start to do research and was that research part of the thing that enabled you to recalibrate your relationship with with sex and dating um you know I, I never actually thought about whether or not the two were connected, but I guess now that I think back, it does kind of make sense. But it was, it, it wasn't until my mom eventually left the religion. That was really shaking for me. I, I, I even tried to talk her out of it. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, Ian, let's not be so hasty. I'd tell her, is this, are you sure you want to do this? But she was like, screw you, I'm out of here. Uh, <laughs> so... So she she got out and she started doing a lot of the research and sharing the research with me and telling me like I didn't even know that there were XJW groups there oh, okay. there were like meetup groups and stuff that she found and I wouldn't look at them I wasn't really that interested I you know I just wanted to move on mm-hmm. um, but she'd share little bits of information with me and that that did really help for me to recover I think um, just hearing that information and then I slowly started to unpack how how my indoctrination and past with the witnesses was affecting so many aspects of my life and 
you know, uh, how, how so many of my problems were rooted in that. And I'd never realized it. Yeah. Cause obviously I can imagine if you're human beings have these desires to kind of like build relationships and obviously for, for many people, sexual desire is a big part of that. But if that's then running up against this, Oh, I'm going to die arm again for doing this conditioning, it must mm-hmm. be causing you so much stress. So to have that removed must be incredibly liberating. I mean, your, is, did, what was your mother's reaction to you and your identity as a gay person before and after she left? Was she, did that change? Uh, yes, it did. Um, she was, I mean, I wouldn't say that she was ever, I, I think that she always got along with gay people. She was, I mean, she thought they were going to die in Armageddon, but I don't think she hated them in any way. But I I do think that she thought it was a sickness and not something that they were born with. So when, when I came out, well, when she found me out, her reaction was to disown me. That's what happened. I got Mm -hmm. disowned and shunned. Uh, So that's where it started. And, you know, eventually she couldn't handle shunning me anymore and ended up slowly from there, just starting to learn a lot more about gay people and accepting gay people for who they are. And, uh, you know, she she went through a transition where she would start to refer to my boyfriends as my friends, which was progress because she acknowledged that they exist. But it was still annoying to hear it, them referred to as my my special friend. That's my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> you can say the word. She she's. I think she's totally good now. Now she's has no problem. I think accepting or talking about any of it. It's interesting because I think it's 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 actually meeting someone who's gay or maybe having someone in the family that turns turns a kind of it can turn opinions around because i remember when i was a witness i had a very stereotypical um witness attitude towards homosexuality but then i actually ended up working at work with a couple of people who were gay Mm -hmm. and just being around them it started to chip away at a lot of the the preconceptions and also it made me kind of chafe and this this is this is kind of generally for me I was also going through a period of like meeting lots of nice worldly people full stop and thinking oh, I don't really think they deserve to die at Armageddon mm-hmm. and also then I was meeting people who were gay and there was also someone I, I I worked with very briefly who was a lesbian and she was telling me about all the hostility she'd been through in the country she comes from because she was a lesbian and it all got me kind of increasingly uncomfortable because when you actually meet human beings it's very easy to stereotype people if you don't have to interact with them but when you meet people who are you know gay or lesbian or or from whatever gender or whatever race or religion or whatever and you actually have to see them as humans and not stereotypes Mm -hmm. it's actually quite it becomes increasingly hard to hold those kind of stereotypes about them i think yeah and it it goes both ways too because when you're when you grow up in that situation and you are that thing you know you have all that self-loathing and hatred so once you get out and you start getting involved in the community which is really hard at first i mean it's a totally different world you feel like you're at first you feel like you're walking into Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, you really do because the gay world is really highly sexualized. And, (laughs) and so it's really jarring at first, but once you start to get into the community and really start to get to know other people like you, a lot of that self-loathing just starts to bleed out of you. It's okay. Maybe there's nothing wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with me. We're all just normal damaged people <laughs> so that that seems to the first kind of because obviously i know obviously we're talking about dating and sex and that's a part of that but so the someone who's coming out of the witnesses and is maybe starting to want to get into the gay community i mean and, and i'm going to flag here now i have a vague awareness of the gay community that i've experienced but i'm i I'm the straight guy talking, so I don't know a lot about <laughs> anything here. Is it more sexualized, do you think, than 
the typical heterosexual community. Um, and is that something that like maybe XJWs who are looking to sort of like explore the gay community might need to be aware of at first? Uh, it's definitely way more sexualized. Um, some of the, the only places really, I mean, there's, you, there's like gay coffee shops and stuff like that. And I guess there's apps and stuff now, but really the big place to meet other gay people is at gay bars. And it's, they're very sexualized places. You're, you're going to walk into a, a bar like this and there's probably going to be, yeah, you know, there's going to be go-go dancers. There's going to be maybe naked pictures on the wall. It's, it's very, very sexualized. So it's, it's just startling walking yeah. into after, you know, being a Jehovah's witness, imagine. <laughs> so is there, if, if, so if I'm, um, uh, a freshly out Jehovah's Witness who's gay. Uh, are there ways to kind of, um, I'm thinking of easing myself into the gay community. Mm-hmm. Um, are there maybe easier paths to to tread to kind of start getting to that community? Or is maybe the best thing for me to do to sort of like take the plunge? What, what would be your advice there to someone who's fresh out to start, how to start? Um, I, I really only have my experience to go on and I, okay. I think that I did it like fairly well. So I'll just share that. Um, yeah, cool. I, th- I think it might be best to just start with meeting people online. Um, may- maybe like there's a lot of different apps and kind of the, the most famous gay one is Grindr. I would avoid Grindr. Okay. Uh, cause Grindr is primarily a hookup app. I would, I would find a nice dating site. Like, uh, I, I had really good luck on like, okay, Cupid. I met a mm. lot of people on okay, Cupid, um, that even if we didn't end up dating, I ended up making really good friends with, which is really important when you're leaving witnesses and you yeah. have no friends. Absolutely. So start there. Then you can just, you know, meet other gay people in a neutral environment, like a coffee shop or going out to dinner or going to a movie and just kind of ease into it. I would not, you know, go straight from your judicial committee to a gay bar. <laughs> no, <laughs> it'll be the shock of your life. Uh, so just take, take time from there until you feel more comfortable and then you can start on exploring more of the community. Okay. That's interesting talking about online dating. Cause I would, from, from the straight side of things, I would actually corroborate the online dating I found very, very useful um, because it enables you to kind of meet people before you meet them to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see someone's profile, you can see their interests, you can chat a bit to them online. Um, you can arrange then to meet for a coffee or a drink, or whatever you want. And if you're feeling, especially if you're feeling a bit nervous, and I, uh, this was my experience as a straight person, I don't know, I'm assuming this would, and obviously I will also caveat, obviously everyone's individual, so I'm sure for some XJWs, the, the, you know, they're going to like go from their first judicial committee straight to a gay bar and have a great time. But I think <laughs> for a lot of us, if we're kind of a bit more, you know, everyone's different and you want to take it a bit more slowly, Online dating is a really good way to go. I mean, I've used OkCupid and had fantastic experiences with that. Um, I've also used Tinder. Um, and Tinder, I found, because Tinder's traditionally a hookup app, but it does also, it's increasingly becoming just general dating as well. And again, not, nothing wrong with it. If you're looking for a hookup, go for a hookup. But if you're yeah. <laughs> also looking for dating, um, uh, you know, more long-term, it's available for that as well. I think Bumble, I don't know if Bumble, does Bumble do um, same sex dating. I know it does. I've used Bumble quite, quite successfully. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not even familiar. I, uh, I haven't okay. used one of these in a, in a couple of years. Okay. I'm, I'm out of touch. 
<laughs> cool. So what we'll do basically, we're, we're kind of both agreed then. So kind of either straight or gay or any kind of sexual orientation. Because online dating, I think 10 years ago, it used to have a stigma, but increasingly it's becoming the norm for people to meet other people. Yes. Especially if you're maybe, you don't have a wide social group and you don't want to kind of, you don't have friends to introduce you to other friends. I think that that seems to be increasingly the case. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's important when you when you go into it, don't go into the dating like, is this looking at people and asking yourself, is this my marriage partner? Yeah. Are they going to be my marriage mate? You got to get that thinking out of your head. Look at them as an individual. And, you know, if they interest you, go go have your dinner or whatever with them and do it with an open mind. Keep it, keep yourself open to the possibility of a new friendship. Don't shut yourself off to the idea of friendships because you really need friendships. Yeah, uh, I think that's my biggest advice right there. I kind of want to want to sort of dwell on that a little bit because I know I'm just going to talk from my own experience a little bit of dating. The first thing I did when I came out was uh, <laughs> I was like, "Yay, let's go find someone I can have sex with." Um, <laughs> and I was also thinking, but I was also confused. Oh, but I have to marry them, and oh, it has to it has to be. I had all these different conflicting ideas bouncing around in my head because I've been very badly conditioned is the way to view relationships. But the reality is, I mean, as you put it down there, there were some people I met um, and there's a couple of people I met. There's one person I went, met on a date with and I was like, should we go for a second date? And she was like, well, to be honest, I've got no interest in, you know, I, I don't see this going anywhere <laughs> um, dating, but I actually had a really nice time just chatting to you. So if you're up for just kind of chatting and meeting as friends, I'm good for that. And my first reaction was, damn it. But my second reaction was, you know, okay, how many people do you know right now? Because all your friends have just bailed on you because you're, you yeah. know, you just left. So yeah, and I actually still chat with her sometimes. We kind of, we have, you know, she, she's a friend that I have. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's like you say, being open-minded. What is this relationship going to be? It could just be a friendship. It might be a one-night stand. Like I said, if, if someone's just looking for, I just want to keep things casual for a bit. I want to be single for a while. Um, meet lots of people. Hey, you know, as long as it's safe and consensual, that's all good. For me, one of the most toxic aspects of JW dating is that whole dating with a view to marriage. Mm -hmm. You have to be getting to know someone with a view to marrying them. For me, that I think that destroys relationships that don't even get a chance to kind of evolve into something a bit more what they naturally could be. What do you think of that particular JW mindset? Yeah, well, it's uh, especially for gay people, it's very problematic because when I came, when I left, I, I mean, I couldn't have gotten married if I wanted to. So you really have to adjust your expectations because, especially, especially in the gay world, it just works. It functions completely differently than what witnesses teach you relate the way the witnesses teach you relationships work. Like, you know, in a witness household, you have the head of the house and you have the submissive mate and you know, that doesn't exist in the gay world. You are equals. I mean, that, that should really be the case for any, any household. Everyone should be equals. Um, but you know, it's not man and wife. It doesn't function the same way. And a lot of places still, you can't get married. I mean, it's only been a few years here in America where it's been legalized. So Keeping that in mind, most of the people that you meet as, as a gay person, they've grown up knowing that they can't ever get married. So a lot of them still don't have marriage in mind at all. A lot of them have no interest in it because they grew up just accepting that they'll never be able to get married. So it's something that you just have to get out of your mind. 
That's interesting. So there's kind of that, oh, I'll be honest, that hadn't occurred to me. And I think that's an example of, that's an example of how it's always a good idea to listen to people who be people with different life experiences. Cause that hadn't even occurred to me that if you were gay up until recently in many countries, you couldn't get married. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would, well, obviously I knew that, but I hadn't processed how much that would then impact the way you would view any relationships you formed. That shows how the world is getting better in many ways. You've got more and more countries that are recognizing people's right to marry, you know, whoever they want and recognizing same-sex relationships. And that's actually having a, a positive impact on those communities is like people now feel it's, would you say people now feel it's, it's easier to form those long-term relationships? Um, yeah. And I, but I think it's still in the process. It's still okay. in the process of happening. It's the scene of things is changing a lot and there's a lot of people that aren't ready to change with it, or maybe will never change. And another thing to keep in mind that, I mean, this is, Slightly, slightly in a different direction. But another thing to keep in mind, at least with the gay community, is that you're walking into a community where almost everyone, everyone has a sad story like yours. You know, almost every gay gay kid was kicked out of their house and, you know, possibly disowned by their parents. Um, so the the whole community is full of people that have been emotionally damaged in the same way that you have. They just have different backgrounds. So it's good on the one hand because you have people that understand you. Less good on the other hand, if you're looking for help, you're not going to find a savior in this community. You're not going to have anyone to hold your hand and walk you through life because everyone in this community is figuring it out. So it's again, another example of just needing to adjust your expectations and uh, it's, it's not going to be all roses Again, I hadn't occurred to me, but of course, um, if you're because obviously, if you're a, a gay witness in most of Western Europe or a lot of the US or certain other you know areas where gay rights are protected, mm-hmm. uh, even now it's only recent. So, like you say, you'll have this community where a lot of people have that trauma in their past. We've obviously got to sort of give a shout out to all of the uh, the gay community in areas of the world where maybe it's actually illegal to be gay, yeah. or there yeah. are and, and I can, I can threatening, yeah. I mean, like you say, in worst case scenario, there are some countries that will kill you um, yes. just for being who you are. And I can only imagine the level of, of uh, trauma and difficulty that it must be to to live in those countries. So if you're an XJW in those countries and you're a member of a, you know the LGBT community, mm-hmm. um, I, I can only begin to imagine the level of difficulty that must entail. Yeah, yeah. And I wish I had good advice for them, but... <laughs> The only advice I have is to move. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's understandable, really. But that, that's interesting to point out. There's that you'll be walking into a community that has a level of similar trauma. So you'll probably find people who understand what you've been through. Mm-hmm. But you'll also then have to accept that, you, you, like you say, you won't necessarily find a savior. And in some ways, I think generally psychologically it's quite bad to look for a savior if we're expecting someone to save us well we actually covered this myself and alice cheshire and this interestingly links into a podcast that um is coming out the week we're recording this but hasn't come out yet we talk about the importance of having healthy boundaries in what we expect of ourselves and others um one of those boundaries is it's not my job to save other people and it's not other people's jobs to save me Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that we just abandon other people and don't help them but what it does mean is that we we have to we have to look to ourselves. You know, we can't demand that other people take care of us. Yes, 
And that's actually, we're almost like outsourcing the responsibility for our own, our own happiness and our own welfare if we have that attitude. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things that happens as JWs is because we've always been told we've been like outsource ourselves to Jehovah, that Jehovah will look after you, it's his responsibility. You, 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 know, you are not fit to direct your own step that one of the drawbacks that then is when you leave the JWs, you're still kind of mentally conditioned to look for someone to save you. That is a really good point that I have never thought about. That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah, it was something I wish I could take credit for it, but it was something Alice came up with because she, she's the professional and I'm, I'm, I'm just the, so uh, the host. <laughs> but yeah, she is. It's, and it, it kind of is when you're looking, if you're looking, you know, obviously this applies less if you're just looking to be single and, you know, meet people and have fun for a bit. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking for a partner, if you're looking some, for someone to save you or someone to complete you, that's probably a very bad dynamic to be bringing to a relationship. Mm-hmm. Obviously you want, you know, a, a, someone who is a, you know, a good partner is going to make a huge benefit to your life and is going to sort of bring you happiness. But if you're, if you're broken and you're looking for someone to fix you, that's probably quite an unhealthy dynamic to be bringing to a relationship. And one of the, and I don't know, I don't know what you think about this. I'm going to put this out there and maybe I'm completely wrong, but if you've just left the Jehovah's Witnesses and you're carrying a lot of damage, maybe the first priority you should have is to try and repair some of your own damage before you start looking for a relationship. Mm-hmm. And, and this is actually going to be counter to slightly what I did. I kind of, I, I'll, I'll talk in more detail at some point about my kind of an early dating life when I left the witnesses. But I, I was carrying a lot more damage than I realized. And I think I would have been better trying to sort myself out initially and then being a more healthy person to walk into a long-term relationship than rushing around trying to find that, that person to be in a relationship with whilst I was essentially massive parts of my psychology were on fire and burning and falling to pieces. I don't know what you think about it. Would you say that's a good idea or not? Uh, I, I absolutely agree. And just like you, I did the complete opposite. I was very codependent when I got out. You know, I like needed a relationship. I had to have a boyfriend. If I didn't have one, I was just like... Oh, I'm going to kill myself. I'm so lonely. I have to sleep alone tonight. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it was very dramatic. And I, I think a lot of it is just that the whole mentality there that, well, you need to have a partner and everyone, you know, you, you look back on all your friends that are shunning you and they're getting married and here you are all alone. Yeah. And you just, you, you're conditioned to feel like you need this, that you have to be in a relationship. You can't just meet someone and talk and have a good time. And, like you said, it's very important to fix yourself first. Don't unload your baggage on someone else, especially someone else that's probably just as damaged as you and not ready to handle it. You really need to learn to be comfortable with yourself before you start looking for a serious relationship. Because if you're not totally in love with yourself, totally happy and content, how can you really expect someone else to feel mm-hmm. that same way. That, that's kind of my stance on the matter. You got you to gotta get good with yourself before you can get good with someone else. Yeah. And I think something else you mentioned, which um, I think is really worth coming back to again, is like just be open to let whatever that relationship be what it is. Mm-hmm. I think if you approach, like if you go on, your, on a date thinking, right, this is, the per- is this the person I'm going to marry or not? Yeah. <laughs> I think it stumbles the whole thing. I, I mean, 
my advice, I think, and again, this is a subject I think we'll do a lot of podcasts over, but one of the first things I think, one of the most important things for XJWs on their first dates with worldly people, inverted commas, is just let it be what it is. If this is someone you see a couple of times and then it just doesn't go any further, that's fine. If this is someone who you see intermittently for a year or so and then maybe it fizzles out, that's fine. If this is someone who you spend a couple of years with and then life moves on and you know life takes you in different directions, that's fine. And if this is someone you just keep seeing and spending more time with and hey, you know, you're you're kind of like sitting on the porch together at 80 years old, many decades from now, that's fine too. But Know what you want from life, but let, be open to let the relationship be what it is. I think that's probably some pretty good advice for XJWs who are just starting to try and date people. Would you say that translates well into the gay community? Or Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it translates exactly. And, and another thing that I want to add to that is if you get, when you get into relationships and they don't work out the way that you expected them to or the way that you wanted them to I think the most important thing is to try not to let yourself feel like a victim about it try not to blame them just when when it ends take a step back analyze the situation and try to learn something from it and take something out of that brief relationship that you can that you can carry with you moving forward. Try and make every experience you have with a new person a learning experience, so that you're better prepared the next time you meet somebody. That's that's a brilliant way of looking at it. Actually, that's the way every every experience then is positive, even if it's a relationship where you're like, well, I I would have liked to continue, but they you know they it's not something they want. It's still a positive thing because a you've spent time together and b you have now learned things about yourself that you can take to that next relationship mm-hmm. you've learned you know ways of interacting you i know some of the the relationships i've had since leaving i know that even though maybe those relationships ended there were positive things that have made me a better person and life skills i've learned from them that i've taken to later relationships that have improved you know and, and made me better able to to be you know in in that interaction uh, in a better way. So everything is a learning experience like that. Mm-hmm. Um, are there resources for people who are gay, who are looking to get into the community or learn how to date? Because obviously there's lots of dating guides in general. Mm-hmm. And there's a few, and I'm actually going to be um, on later podcasts talking about some books and people and websites who help me come to terms, not not come to terms with, but actually give advice for for dating and sex and positive attitudes to have towards sexuality. Are there any that you found helpful that you could recommend to any of our listeners? To be honest, it's, it's never anything that I looked into. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just completely winged it and uh, winged it, biffed it, and learned from my mistakes. I don't I don't have any good advice uh, there. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's that's cool. I mean, to be honest, that's that's good too because it's proof that sometimes. You know, sometimes we can kind of the best thing to do is just kind of start experimenting and see what happens mm-hmm. um, and learn from learn from those mistakes. Yeah. So kind of sort of pulling back on this, we've had if we've got like that that XJW who's just left and is looking into the gay community, we've said online dating is a good way to start for a gentle ease in. If you're if you're feeling if you're feeling like you want to, gay bars are a great place to go for some kind of more sexually forthright stuff. Uh, we've said 
don't approach you know each day with preconceptions just let it be what it is can you think of any other advice that you would give from your own experiences you'd want to give to a gay xjw who's literally just starting out on living his real life in terms of like dating or sex the big the biggest thing that i would say is not I would almost say to avoid dating for a while, just just because you're you've got so much going on. Uh, the f- first year or two after you leave is just such a roller coaster; it's a blur. And I, I I honestly think trying to date in that time frame is a terrible idea. That you know, it's different strokes for different folks, but that that's I, I think it's important to just focus on getting on your own two feet before before uh, looking for anything like that because you're going to end up being codependent i think if you do that you're going to end up searching for a savior you're going to end up you know looking for someone to fix you you need to fix yourself yeah that's that's good advice and i would agree with that and i think also the other thing i would say is you learn to separate sometimes uh, you can separate dating from sex if mm-hmm. you're just feeling really horny because you've just got out of the religion and you you are kind of looking to um, express yourself sexually, that's fine. Just be upfront and open with mm-hmm. the people you're talking to. Um, well, again, online dating can be very good for that. Um, just be upfront and open that you're just looking for something casual, uh, be safe and be consensual. Um, and that can take care of maybe those, you know, you, if you want to experiment sexually, draw the line that doesn't have to be a relationship. You can, as long as everyone's on the same page about something, that can be fine. But I would agree with you. If you're looking to build a relationship with someone, you really, as an XJW, probably need to spend some time repairing yourself first because you won't realize how much bad damage you're dragging into that relationship until it jumps up to bite you. Yes. And you said you just said a keyword that I kind of want to bring attention to there, the consent. Learn consent. Yeah. This is something that... At, witnesses kind of teach you out of especially with the door-to-door you learn not to take no for an answer and you know you've got to learn to get consent and learn to be able to stop when someone says no i know that this is something that i had trouble with i did not take no for an answer ever i just saw it as an invitation to pursue further Mm -hmm. and i you know, I think that's one of the biggest things you got to get out of your head, especially as a male, a male in our society in general, but a male Jehovah's mm. Witness, especially learn to accept no for an answer. Yeah. And that actually comes back to, uh, again, a podcast I did with uh, Alice Cheshire recently about boundaries. One of the things she said, and this is also for ourselves, but also for other people. No is a complete sentence. Yeah, <laughs> you don't need to, if you you are perfectly entitled to say no, and you don't need to explain it, and other people are entitled to say no to you, and they don't have to explain it. Yes. And and so, like you say, it's it's especially in the realms of relationships and dating and everything else. If you're getting no, okay, that's fine. Yeah, don't be pushy. Yeah, absolutely. So, and again, I think this, this is a topic we're going to return to on the forward cast again. And if, if things are, if you, if you're up for it, Jeremy, I'd love to get you back on at some point to talk about, cause I think these are all subjects we could do mm-hmm. multiple podcasts on. But yeah. what, I'd like to, what I'd like to do is kind of shift gears slightly now um, okay. and talk about another aspect of your life. What do you do for a living now? Cause you're still in kind of in the publishing industry, aren't you? It's just that it's a bit less culty. Yes. <laughs> I am currently a bookseller. It's it's like the how do I want to say this? It's like the intelligent version of a window washing job. Uh, okay. 
Not very high paying, but it's very mentally rewarding. So as a bookseller, now you mentioned um, on our our chat beforehand, one of the themes that we try and do on this podcast is encourage people to take some of the training and skills they learned as Jehovah's Witnesses and put them to use for themselves. Because obviously as an XJW, the temptation is to think that everything Watchtower gave me was worthless. But if we look hard enough, there might be stuff that Watchtower taught us that we can now use for our own benefit. So have there been any life skills that Watchtower taught you that you've been able to kind of take and now use for yourself? Uh, yeah, actually. Um, well, I, I want to say first, firstly that the, the, the book selling thing for me is kind of, it's like a recent quality of life upgrade. Um, I've only done this for a couple of years before this, when I first left the witnesses, I kind of just buried myself in work. Mm. Um, that's kind of how I dealt with it was by not dealing with it and staying really busy. So I've, I kind of had a corporate job and I found that I was really well set up to climb the corporate ladder because it turns out corporations function very similarly to Jehovah's witnesses. You know, it's <laughs> everything is policy driven. Everything is by the book. It's just a, you know, an employee handbook rather than a Bible. Mm. You know, I was used to working long hours and not being rewarded very well for them. Uh, so I climbed the corporate ladder really, really high, really quickly. And, you know, it, it was great for a while. And eventually I found that it was consuming my whole life. You mm. know, I didn't have the time to do, uh, any any of the things that I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to focus a lot more on writing. I wanted to uh, blog more. I wanted to do some YouTube. I wanted, to, you know, I wanted to be more creative and have more time for me, um, which was actually another thing that I think came from witnesses as well is finding ways to not work a lot, <laughs> you, you know, because you have the, you have such a rigorous schedule as a witness, you know, you have to find a way to, you know, whether it's through budgeting or owning your own business or doing something like that to have time for the other things. Hmm. So um, thank you witnesses for helping me with that. So I was able to find <laughs> a way to work a really low paying job and still, you know, I still live pretty comfortably, but now I'm doing things that I really love to do rather than, you know, knocking on doors, which I hated to do. Yeah. That, that's interesting. You kind of got the, um, the path we take in life. I think I can, I can relate to that story of doing a job and then deciding that you, there's other, there's other more important things you want to do with your life. My career now is, um, tangentially related to what I used to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, so I work, I have a full-time job and I work full-time. I actually work more than full-time at the moment because it's gone kind of nuts in the last six months. Mm. But it kind of, it was a deliberate choice because the previous role I was in was something I realized I didn't want to do. And there were the aspects to it I didn't want to do. So I jumped and it, the, the role I'm in now in some ways is less advantageous, but it gives me a lot more flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of suits a lot more what I actually want to do with my life. I actually also, I think maybe it's time if we've got some uh, time for questions from our listeners. Okay. We have uh, Ethan Spence. He's actually, he's a fan of yours and he's got a few questions here. Some of them are, Ethan. Okay. Yeah, some of them are kind of quite, quite serious um, and okay. some of them are more kind of fun. So we'll save the fun ones to the end. And again, this is a topic I think we could probably talk more about if we have more time, but you're kind of a geek, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Good. Internet high five geek over here as well. So we'll get (laughs) onto that at the end. But Ethan's got a few questions um, 
he, he mentions that one of the things he notices is that certain parts of his personality are still affected by being born into the organization. Mm-hmm. So he asks you, what is the most persistent habit or teaching that still affects you? And what have you done to try and overcome that? Ah, I, there are so many things that, you know, and every time I think I've stamped them all out, uh, another one comes rearing its head. Uh, I, th- I think the biggest thing for me was really black and white ways of thinking, especially when it comes to relationships. I, I was the sort of person that, you know, you, you are my best friend. I absolutely love you one second. And then you do one thing wrong. And I am ready to drop you like a bag of bricks, man. I shut you out of my life forever. And that's still, I still have that a little bit, but I think that I've mostly gotten a handle on it. Um, the biggest thing that I did to fix that was um, I, I do, I read a lot and I write a lot. And one of the things, you know, one of the things to be able to write good characters and to write well, you need to be able to understand different, different points of view and, you know, understand why people who disagree with you or do something that you don't like, where they're coming from. You need to be able to understand that because nobody is actually a total bad guy. Everyone has their own reasons for doing what they're doing. Yeah. They're all the hero in their own story. So exercising that a lot and reading a lot and just trying to understand people I didn't agree with really helped in getting rid of a lot of that black and white thinking. I've heard that phrase before as well, that everyone's a hero in their own story. Mm-hmm. So, and even I think the other phrase I've heard um, sometimes is steel manning, which is the opposite of straw manning. So a straw man is when you, you, you create a, a caricature of someone else's opinion or their behavior um, to allow you to easily destroy or dismiss it. So if you've got an argument, you create the most easily defeatable version of that person's argument about a certain point or ideology or, or point of view. Steel manning is the opposite. Steel manning is I have you have to be able to explain their point of view so precisely and articulately that that person would say yes that's an accurate representation of why I think what I think and only then can you start to disagree with them uh-huh. so it requires you to empathize and understand with the other person's point of view before you're allowed to start kind of saying okay well here's why I disagree with you on that point and I suppose like you say that coming to that maybe it's similar to what you were talking about of being able to step into another person's shoes and see see life through their eyes Mm -hmm. what do you write what do you write by the way you mentioned you write a lot i don't think we've talked about that oh yes i do write a lot that's actually what i've always wanted to do with myself i'm just uh i'm a procrastinator um but i write (laughs) a lot of uh i guess speculative fiction a lot of things that i guess you could call kind of urban fantasy slash horror slash you know a lot of depressing stuff i found that i write a lot about the end of the world imagine that oh, where did you get that from i don't know <laughs> oh cool we'll have to we'll have to drill down to that a bit later maybe yeah um, the next question up is um and this is quite an interesting one what does your partner feel about your past as an xjw i mean we've talked about a bit about how this because the other question is has this ever affected your romantic relationships What's the, what's your, um, what have your partners thought about it? Your XJW career? Uh, so, um, sorry, your JW life and also, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very per person. Uh, a lot of people saw it as something, a lot of people saw how I was affected by it way better than I did, mm. um, you know, and pointed that out to me, which I never really reacted very well to, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, a lot of them saw the damage that I didn't see. My current, my current partner is very supportive, very understanding. He watches a lot of the, uh, 
a lot of the videos with me and you know he's just completely blown away it was like i cannot believe you grew up in a cult me either so so it's it's great to have someone that's supportive like that yeah, it's it's interesting that experience. I've had a similar experience um, with, with um, some of my previous partners. They kind of like they, they find out you're a JW. They used to be a JW. And you're like, oh, that's weird. Um, and then you kind of show them some of the crazy because I showed one of my one of my ex girlfriends. I showed her Stephen Lett on JW Broadcasting, and she was like, "You're joking. This isn't real." I'm like, no, this is real. She's this is actually like he's a real person and he's in charge of a real organization and this is a real video that they made that they think is good. And I was like, yes. uh, she was like, holy crap, no wonder you left. Um, yeah. yeah, it's uh, so they're kind of. I think that's an interesting point you brought out about people being understanding because you don't you don't as like you said we're not looking for someone to fix you, but at the same time you do want a partner who is understanding of who you are and the experiences you've been through. Yeah, yeah, because like I said earlier, I mean, things are going to pop up out of nowhere that you didn't realize are a problem. So it's really great and important to have someone that will understand why you're behaving like a crazy person out of nowhere. <laughs> exactly. So next question, this is an interesting one. And maybe maybe because of your, your life, it, it kind of came at the same time. But was it harder for you to come out as gay or as an XJW? Um. Th- yeah, yeah, they they were kind of one and the same. It was the same event for me. I would say though that the the aspect that was coming out as gay was by far worse, by far. I mean, because that was just something that I couldn't fix, um, and it, it just felt really perverse, really like disgusting. Like I felt, and, and you know, half of me was worried that you know, that my father was really abusive, so half of me was worried that he was going to beat me to death over it. So. Mm-hmm. That was by far the worst part. I, if I had to choose between one or the other, I would have just chosen to just, you know, come out as an XJW and not ever tell them that I was gay. But I didn't have a choice. And as, as you said, I think there's um, the, a lot of people in the gay or the LGBT community worldwide have, have can tell a story of, you know, I didn't want to tell people I was gay or lesbian or because there was a the threat of physical violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's important for people to understand. Ethan's got loads of cool questions here, so we'll keep going. <laughs> so yeah, have you ever taken therapy or gone to therapy for dealing with any XJW issues? I never did, and I wish I wish that I had. Um, my my mom actually checked me into therapy when I was a teenager while I was still a witness because I was I was really depressed and I wasn't getting baptized and they couldn't figure out why. And it was interesting because she had to do it like secretly because they don't really like therapy, so she didn't mm. tell anybody. Um, but that's the only time I've ever been to therapy because I, I went out of it for a long time thinking, maintaining that same thinking that they didn't know what they were talking about and I didn't need their help. So I wish that I would have, mm. but I didn't. Okay. So that's all of the, the serious stuff. Um, Ethan right. also has some uh, questions that are geek related. Um, okay. And these are kind of fun. Now, if you've been following us on Twitter, myself and, uh, and Jeremy, you'll have seen us interacting when I was complaining about Westworld season two. <laughs> um, and I think we were different on this, weren't we? Because you were like, I didn't like the season, but I liked the ending. And I was like, I liked the season, but hated the ending. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. Which either way means that we had problems with season two. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what that actually leads us on to is that um, Jeremy is kind of a geek and I'm kind of geek as well. And right. his question is, he saw that you like all kinds of nerdy stuff. So... 
what is your favorite book or series from, and you can pick any genre, anything, but what's your favorite uh, geek style book or series? All right. Any, any, I love getting this question because I always seize the opportunity to shill my favorite author, Robin Hobb. Um, I've always got like my whole collection of her books in the background in my videos. Um, I love Robin Hobb. I've read her since I was a teenager. Um, it's just a fantastic fantasy book series. It's kind of, it's kind of like game of Thrones if it were written by Virginia Woolf, um, (laughs) which sounds kind of weird. It just means that it's kind of realistic fantasy, very character driven, very much more character driven than plot driven. I think than game of Thrones, I highly recommend it. Because I've not read, this is my kind of like guilty admission, I've not read Robin Hobb, but I've heard her, whenever, whenever, whenever anyone recommends her, they say the char- one of the things she does amazingly well are characters. Her characters yes. are incredibly well drawn. They're, they're very flawed. They're real. Mm-hmm. Um, they, are, they are very much the opposite of like one-note heroes and villains. They're incredibly complex. Yeah, yeah. I'm really impressed that you've even heard of her. I know that she's, a, she's much more popular in Europe, though, than she is in America. So maybe, oh. Yeah, no, I, I'm kind of, like I said, I, I, I've kind of done a bit of a voyage through sci-fi and fantasy authors as well. And, and Robin Hobb is on my list. I have, I think like, are you a bit like this? You have a list of, of books you haven't read yet and the, the list gets longer every year because there's just oh, yeah. not enough time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Robin Hobb's the recommendation for that. Next question. Do you like tabletop RPGs like Dungeons and Dragons? And then he puts in brackets, oh no, magic and wizards. <laughs> for me it's oh no socializing um i don't i don't do dnd just i'm way too antisocial to, uh, <laughs> to do that i'm sorry uh weirdly enough so i'm gonna um I, I probably should have got in trouble for this but i did a little dungeons and dragons when i was a jehovah's witness <gasps> yeah i just at high school all the, the, the kids went through a phase of um of doing dungeons and dragons and i i used to just play it but I didn't realize I hadn't seen any of the stuff condemning it because the Watchtower actually mentions Dungeons and Dragons and condemned it. I think it was in the mm-hmm. 80s. There was kind of a moral panic going around apparently in America about Dungeons and Dragons. So Watchtower did an article, but I'd never read it. So I, was, I spent a few sessions playing it and loving it. And then I casually mentioned to my parents <laughs> that I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to go around Phil's house and we're going to play Dungeons and Dragons. And yeah, yeah that was kind of like saying, I'm going to go around Phil's house and we're going to sacrifice a goat. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's funny is that Dungeons and Dragons was created by a Jehovah's Witness. Really? Yeah, he was a Jehovah's Witness. There was a, a snippet from a magazine. He ran a magazine where he was talking about, someone asked him a question and he, I, I don't remember the specifics, but he was talking about how, you know, well, everyone's going to die in Armageddon and I'm going to be in paradise. Uh, yeah, he was a witness. Wow. Okay. So I did not know this. Um, <laughs> I am going to go and research this because that's that's incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there you go. The four cast learning new stuff every day, especially regarding <laughs> regarding the uh, the sci fi fantasy community. Yes. Um, wow. Okay. So what other geek stuff do you like? Feel feel free to kind of take this opportunity to point us towards cool stuff we should check out. Oh, I I just love all sorts of cool stuff. Um, I I play a lot of video games. Watch way too much TV. I don't watch a lot of movies though. I wish that I did. I think I'm the only person in the world that hasn't kept up with the Marvel movies. It's there's just too many. I can't keep up. Suggestions, suggestions. All I ever want to suggest is Robin Hobb, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy the Vampire Slayer helped me through my first two years of not being a witness and 
I highly recommend everybody go watch that show. It's a little bit dated now, but it's still wonderful. Yeah, Buffy's, um, I haven't actually seen Buffy. And again, I've, I've seen uh, Firefly, which was uh, the creator, Joss Whedon. He's um, also does a lot of, he, I think he's in charge of, was in charge of the Marvel movies for a while. But mm-hmm. obviously he, he did Buffy and Angel, um, which is a spin-off show. But I had a, a JW friend who was really into Buffy. Mm-hmm. And he had to keep it quiet because obviously Buffy the Vampire Slayer is a big no-no for Jehovah's Witnesses. But yes. would quietly, because we were both quietly on the show, on the sly, watch things we weren't supposed to. So it was almost like a mutually assured destruction. If I shopped him in, he'd shop me in. So we, we never did. But I had a friend who was really into Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a child. Yeah, it was, it was funny when I was a teenager, I'd, I went out and I rogue bought all of the Buffy the Vampire DVDs and brought them home. And I got in a lot of trouble for that. So my mom took all of the DVDs and hid them in the shed and locked them up in the shed. And she said that you can have these when you turn 18 and you move out of my house. And they kicked me out of the house. And, you know, that's that was, I think, the best thing about getting kicked out of Witnesses was having all those DVDs ready for me <laughs> to just marathon all the way through and sob my way through. Oh, wow. So there's, there's a real kind of strong emotional connection for you for that series then. It's like... Yes. Uh, a milestone in your life sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, awesome. So that's, um, those are all of Ethan's questions, but I was actually going to ask you, so you're a writer of kind of urban fantasy and speculative fiction mm-hmm. and horror. One of the things I like to do with the forward cast, and we've already done a little bit, is point new XJWs towards stuff that the world has to offer because we, as, as JWs, we kind of sometimes shy away from culture and literature and art. So if, some, if there's an XJW listening to this podcast saying, I don't know what urban fantasy is, I'm kind of aware of speculative fiction, but I'm not sure, you know, what is urban fantasy? What do I read? What kind of horror would you recommend? Can you point us to um, a couple of good speculative or urban fantasy or horror novels so people can get, can get a gist of the genre that you write in? I think that a good blanket author for all of those categories is Stephen King. Um, He's a fantastic character writer and he writes a lot of different things. It's not all just horror. In fact, a lot of his stuff isn't horror at all anymore. So, you know, he's got speculative fiction in there. I'm trying to think of like 112263 is a good, a good speculative fiction. Um, That's very similar to the sort of thing that I write more realistic with the, you know, added element of, something weird for fantasy. He's got the dark tower for horror. He's got, you know, it or, you know, Gerald's or Gerald's game, you know, that that's a good place to start. And you, I know you were forbidden to read it. So you're just dying to get your hands on a Stephen King book. Now that you're out. <laughs> I, I find with Stephen King that he's, he's an exceptionally good author. He does also write a lot of books. I don't like, but he's so prolific. Mm-hmm. He writes so many books that he only, even if only twenty percent of his output was good, he's probably got more good books out there than most yeah. authors will ever manage in their lives. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he, he's one of those authors that when he's getting it, when he's in the vote, when he's in the vibe, and he really is getting it right, he's just exceptionally good. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So that's that's the Stephen King one. So with your, maybe we could sort of finish this uh, podcast off just on your writing ambitions, then because. So many, there are so many frustrated artists and creatives who are Jehovah's Witnesses who never really pursued those, those parts of themselves because it was like, well, either, either it's not a good industry for the Witnesses to be in, or they were like, well, wait, you know, focus on other things now and you can fill that in Armageddon. And, and obviously, now that we leave the Witnesses, we can embrace those passions and those drives that maybe we couldn't before. So, 
With your writing, is that something you do for fun or are you, are you planning to be published or have you already been published? What's the, what's the deal with that? That's definitely the end game goal for me. Um, and it always has been. It was something that I had to keep kind of secret when I was a witness, but I was still always doing it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's that's what I love to do. Um, and it's a, it's a good one for me because it's not something that necessarily requires a degree. Uh, no publisher cares what, what you have a degree in unless it's okay. relevant for what you're writing about. So that's useful because I'm completely uneducated. Um, you know, the only requirement is that you read a lot. So, you know, you can, you can find, you can find something that will work with whatever your situation is, whether it's painting or anything. And I think it's really important to do because it's a channel and it's an outlet for you to get a lot of your bad feelings out through. If you're not sure how you're, you know, how to articulate what you're feeling or even understand what you're feeling. You can just, you know, paint it out, write it out. And uh, I've found that it's always really helpful for me to do that. Uh, that's interesting. I've, I've heard that from a number of writers, actually, that there's, because um, I interviewed Sarah Mills on a previous episode, and she's she's a writer. And funny, one of the things she said is, like, I said, what, what drew you to be a writer? And she was like, I don't know how not to be. It just kind of yes. has to come out. Do you have a similar thing that for you, it's more like, the, the the page and the pen is calling and you don't really have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. I get a lot of anxiety if I don't write um, <laughs> for a long period of time. I, I mean, I'm, I'm still not quite as good about doing it every day like I should, but um, yeah, I, I do feel compelled to do it and I feel just gross if I don't. So I, I, I identify with that. Yeah. That's interesting. And I know I've, I've heard advice from other writers who say that, the best thing you can do with like a really bad day or a lot of bad emotions is grab that page and like fire that into the work. And, and they sort of say that some of the best stuff they've ever written has come out of some really difficult time in their life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good, it's kind of a good monolith to have in your past, especially if you you're going through some trauma, you tend to blink out on a lot of that trauma. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I've forgotten a lot of what happened to me, but it's good to have that writing to go back and refer to and, you know, get those, get those memories back and work through them as however you need to do. Well, Jeremy, thank you ever so much for coming on to the show. It's been, I think we've hit a lot of topics there that are quite diverse, but that's been, um, that's been a fascinating hour or so. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised we went on this long. I think <laughs> I wasn't expecting to have this much to say. You just bring it out of me. Ah, you're welcome. You're welcome. And hopefully, <laughs> yeah, we can maybe get you back on again at some point. Cause I feel like each of the topics we've, we've hit there, there's probably more to say. So maybe we can kind of get you back on the show to, uh, to go through it all in more detail, everything from dating to geek stuff. Yeah, I would absolutely love to. Awesome. So where people find more of your work online, Jeremy? Okay. Well, um, I have, if you're into the nerd stuff, I have a blog that nobody ever reads, but I sometimes update anyway. Um, that's at sprinklersintherain.com. I have a YouTube channel, XJW channel, Mentally Diseased. And uh, I'm on Twitter as at the one germ, where I just talk about stuff. Cool. So, Jeremy Howell, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. 